0: Hi, it's Dan here for Dusty Wisconsin Radio and this is the podcast liner notes revealing chats with candidates retro music makers. Today I'm very honoured to have as my guest VJ, DJ, TV host and iconic music personality Stu Jeffries. We'll be talking about music and the evolution of the music scene. We'll get some other insights as well about the Canadian music scene from someone who's been there for many decades. Of course, Stu is a very well known as popular host of Good Rockin' Tonight, he was a VJ on that and Switchback and so much more, which we'll get into in our conversation. So uh, how are you doing, Stu? Thanks for joining me. I'm very well, Dan. Thanks for having me. It's awesome. Well, I appreciate that. So you're actually a a BC native, but you ended up in Winnipeg. What's the deal with that? It says here that you were born in Richmond, which is about 20 minutes from where I'm sitting right now
1: right yeah it was uh, I was born there uh, and we my parents divorced I think when I was about four and okay. my mother had um, and I'm over it', it was good <laughs> my mother had a uh, <laughs> um, her her, her uh, mom and dad or my grandparents lived in Winnipeg at the time and she was uh, basically a single mom of four so had to move from uh, from Richmond to Winnipeg where uh, my grandparents lived just so that they could be of uh, right. some help in raising us and then um, yeah I was raised in Winnipeg for. I think I left when I was eighteen, just turned nineteen to start mm. my broadcasting career in Yorkton. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I did. I left. Uh, I left the West Coast. It was against my will. I had no say in the matter. <laughs> we were going whether I liked it or not. Yeah. So.
0: Well, it's interesting because I've spoken to many people from Winnipeg and it's rather fortuitous that you ended up there because the music scene was super vibrant, like way, <sighs> way above its pay grade in in, yeah. in a sense, right?
1: Yeah, crazy too. How um, I love when you say that and when people from Winnipeg or know people from Winnipeg say that, it's hard to make people understand that aren't from there just how vibrant and how alive the music scene was, the radio scene, mm-hmm. like um, it. You know, and people not from Winnipeg hearing people Winnipeg talk, it just it it dulls them. Uh, But it was a very special place to be, and I was fortunate to be raised uh, there at a time when you know it was at its peak.
0: Well yeah and it's funny because I've made the point before is Sam Feldman said one time that in the Canadian population our contribution of music is disproportional to the population and the same is certainly true of Winnipeg.
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely. And uh, it, it is I and I firmly believe it is all you know, uh, the cold and the and the the severity of the seasons that kind of forces everybody indoors more than outdoors and you spend more time mm. in your friend's basement jamming you know or in my case making radio shows or whatever uh to kind of kill the time um and it's the music that kind of gets you through that
0: yeah hockey and music i guess oh no kidding yeah yeah did you ever have any aspirations to actually play music
1: you know what i have i have started to play the guitar probably a thousand times in my life i have (laughs) i have two acoustic guitars in this house i've got three boys we've all picked it up at one time or another Uh, and you know just when the fingers get calloused and you think yeah I'm finally into it I get bored I stop and then my fingers start to hurt again and I don't want to do it anymore so I thought you know I'm not going to play it I might as well play the music that everybody else is making figured that makes sort of made more sense
0: oh very cool and then and so you had aspirations obviously when you were younger but how did your first foray into the music business into the the production business happen
1: oh it it I was um lucky and it was all timing I got uh I went okay. to the National Institute of Broadcasting in Winnipeg. I knew I wanted to do radio when I was, oh God, like six, seven, eight years old. I can remember being a nice. kid and just being captivated by it. I loved it so much. Um, and I didn't think that there was an opportunity for me to do it. I thought only special people got to do that. When you're a kid, you think all these mm. weird things, right? Like it must You yeah. must have, have to yeah. have been born with a really deep voice <laughs> and a cool name and a... You know, and that's that was some of the prerequisites. I never I had no idea that I could do it. And then when somebody said, "Yeah, no, there's a broadcasting school, and you can." as soon as I was aware yeah. of that, then it was all about saving money to do it. and um, I sent uh, once the course the course was a bit suspect. Um, once the course was finished, um I made a bunch of little reel to reels uh, with my audition and sent them out to any radio station I could think of. Oh, well. uh, or with from from the broadcast dialogue magazine at the time it wasn't called broadcast dialogue I think it was just called broadcasting, and at the back there mm-hmm. were the names and addresses of program directors and stations all across Canada. So I just randomly you know picked a whole bunch and sent it off and got rejected by everybody and for good reason.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and then yeah. my tape ended up on the desk of uh, Gary Lawrence, who was the new PD at CJGX in Yorkton and he had just fired a guy and my tape just happened to be there. So <laughs> good enough for me. Do you want to come down and work? And yeah. I was like, yeah. And uh, so yeah. that was 1979. That's when it started. And I've, uh, I've been doing it ever since.
0: Oh, very cool. Well, again, you're, you're starting the smaller markets. You're out in the, mm-hmm. in the middle of Canada and, and you go to a smaller market where they need people and that's your kind of foot in the door. Or you go around the barn to get in the door as they say.
1: Right? For sure. And I was not, you know, you, you can't, it sounds so old person when you're talking to people that are young and want to get into the business where you talk about, you know, it is really all about dues paying. And as much as it yeah. sounds like, oh, you're just being one of those guys, it's true. It's like, and there there are not anywhere near as many opportunities to put your foot in the door of a small market and learn your stuff as there used to be. Um, and it's just because, you know, stations merge. Um, nobody, I don't think anybody has an all night show anymore. That's live. Like it's a shame really, but that's where you, man, that's where you cut your teeth and you, you do everything, you learn everything. Um, and it's not by design really. It's just, that's what happens in small markets. You are not just a radio announcer. You are everything at that station or eventually will be everything at that station. And by that, you know, you learn, um, and it, It doesn't happen anymore, and it really is a shame because, you know, the broadcasters that came out of that era, and the era before me, of course, and before that era, uh, amazing broadcasters, and you can tell they were ones that really, you know, put the nose to the grindstone and worked hard.
0: Well, it's interesting. you make a good point because uh, it's very parallel to the music business, you know, when there was a vibrant club scene and you could go on tour and, you, you know, your band yeah. isn't very good and you get fired and then you make it better. And then you change a couple of members and you just pay your dues and you yeah. play six nights a week and you, and you burn yourself out and you get back up off the mat. And, and those days, uh, many musicians have made the same comment that though, those aren't there, that market isn't there anymore.
1: No. And you don't, it, 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 you don't get a chance really. Right. Like you don't get a yeah. chance to stink, like or a chance to, yeah. <laughs> um, to, to really sort of, okay, man, I blew that. What am I going to do next time around? Um, yeah. You know, and oh my God, I was horrendous in Yorkton, like horrendous. And I thought though, after six weeks, why isn't the world come crawling to or calling to me to give me jobs everywhere? <laughs> because I'm yeah. so good and I was just <laughs> god awful. But you learn that, right? And, and you, you, it's a great way of putting it you hit the ground and then you come back up and you go, okay, wait, I'm not doing that again. Uh, or yeah. maybe I did do that again because I didn't learn the first time, but eventually you get it and yeah. you know, you get better and better and better. And it's funny in this business, in my end anyways, with radio, particularly radio and television, you do get better. It's like golf. Like you do get better mm-hmm. all the time, even if you've been doing it for, you know, a long time.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's a good point because you, you have to improve. If your passion is there, you just find a way to improve and you do. That's right. And, and, you know, so, and it sounds like that's what you did. And then, and so you ended up, you did a couple of radio deals and then how did you end up with the good rock and tonight gig? again, am I missing a lot of stuff in no, between there? No,
1: no, Super, super lucky. Um, mm. I was in Regina at the time. I saw a busy- I was in Yorkton for about a year and a half and then Regina at CJME, um, yeah. which, uh, that was where, boy, we talk about cutting teeth. That was six, seven years there. I think I was. And I, you know, Oh God, I learned so much from the time I walked through that door mm. to, um, the time I left to, to move up back out to Vancouver. Crazy. But, mm. uh, I was. It was 1980, I guess I want to say 84, 85, something like that. And uh, CBC, it was my third year in Regina. CBC had put up this notice on uh, radio stations, bulletin boards everywhere, uh, that uh, they were auditioning for a show. Uh, And the show was called The Fame Game. And it was a a contest that CBC had put together, a battle of the bands in the capital cities of each province. Uh, I'm familiar with that. Right, so they'd showcase the bands. Um, My showcase was uh, Northern Pikes was in there um nice. noise and the boys uh dana radford's band they were so cool um i can't a uh, motet there were a couple of us i can't remember anyway uh so it's battle of the bands thing and they were looking for a host and the uh i looked at i remember i can see it to this day i'm looking at this notice on the bulletin board going yeah i don't think so uh and hmm. uh, dave mitchell who was doing afternoon drive in regina at the time walked by and he said are you going to go and I said, "Nah." He said, "Well, I'm going." He said, "If I'm going, then you're going." So I said, <laughs> "Okay, fine, good deal. Let's just do it." And I went there for the audition, and you just sat in this room, and there was a camera on you, uh, and the production assistant, and she had a stopwatch, and she basically said, "Well, all I want you to do is look down the camera lens." And talk for five minutes. Don't stop. Even if you think you've run out of stuff, just try, just keep talking. So it was an, it, I guess it was a really rough sort of example of how do you look in, in the camera and how fast are you on your feet, I suppose. Right. Uh, uh. And I said, okay, cool. And I started talking about radio because it's the thing that I knew and I loved and how I got into it and da da da. da. And I remember at one point I stopped and I said, "I, I guess that's it." And she, she hit the stopwatch. She went four minutes and fifty-seven seconds. <laughs> that's very oh, wow. good. Yeah, <laughs> and it was like I, I thought, okay, that's cool. It was a fun experience, and I'm glad for it. The next yeah. day, I got a call from Steve Glassman, who was producing the show, that said, "You know what? As soon as you were in front of the camera and doing your thing, we knew that you were the guy for the job." And I was like, "Oh my god, really? really? Uh, yeah. yeah." And so I got the Fame Game host, and then Ken Gibson, who was a, the producer of Good Rock Tonight in Vancouver saw that show that I hosted and uh, hung on to the tape. I guess he saw something in me that he liked. Uh, And um, when Mulligan left the show uh, in 85, I want to say, um, he phoned me and asked me if I'd be Mm -hmm. interested. And to be honest with you, Dan, I was like, I loved radio so much. And when videos were really starting to crash through, I was kind of an anti-video guy because I found it took away from the imagination of the song uh, Hmm. and that people were – I thought it was just like a fad, like it's not going to last too long. Right. I don't know anything, Uh, but I was very staunch radio guy. Uh, But I said, sure, because, you know, the money was great and uh, I was broke. And, you know, I said, of course, I'd be interested. And it ended up being I was on there for eight and a half seasons. (laughs) So it's crazy how it happened.
0: It was great. And then you wonder about how those things happen, but you had that, you know, maybe you're a bit raw, you're not used to TV, but you've got that effervescent personality. You've got that smile on your face. You had the blonde locks. Blonde you know, lock. and and you were... know what I think too, and also a
1: certain element, and I'm not being funny here, a certain element of stupidity. Like you, you're too stupid to be scared, you know, and and, <laughs> and you're so uh, into what you do. I was such a proud radio guy and was very confident in my abilities um, yeah. Even though I had no business being confident, right? It's all a great big cover up. Uh, but so, you know, I think that element of being too dumb to know any better um, enters mm-hmm. into that a lot too. Like it, I think there's a lot to be said for this. Well, I don't even really like this medium in the first place, but why not? Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. you, you get to go a little crazy and before you know it, it works out.
0: Well, I've often used that expression that, that, that I heard years ago that kids, young people don't know what they can't do. Exactly. So go, yeah, sure. I'll try that. You yeah. Know, and that youth whatever. is wasted
1: on the young too is another good one, right? You're too. Yes. And then you don't even realize what you've got because you're so dumb, right? You're so dumb.
0: <laughs> well, it's funny. Well, and then, and then you got sort of thrust in the middle of it. Like the video craze came in. Yeah. And then, you know, it's funny. I watched some of the, the old episodes and stuff. And of course I was a big fan. I watched Good Rockin' Tonight lots of times and was a big fan of it, but. So I had some nostalgia looking back, it brought back some good memories, but the video craze came in and, and the bands were cranking out the videos and then the announcers, yeah. the VJs, it gave background and commentary on them. So there was a whole sort of package of things right. that came along with that, right? Getting information. Right. And,
1: yes. And and, and, and it wasn't as like, I mean, I think now um, the information that we have available to us within seconds uh, <laughs> is... You know, if I had that, inf- imagine having that information, <laughs> you know, in the 80s, because well, I wrote the scripts to the show and it was all about trying to yeah. gather as much information as you can. A new magazine would come in, maybe the new musical Express from England would come in and you would just devour it for information. And yet, by the time you got it, it was already three weeks old, but that was how the information was processed, right? Whereas now, yeah. boy, now you yeah, put the show a, together, a it's way. like there's no excuse to not have every, every
0: corner covered. Yeah. And then, so, so the video thing hit and then Terry David Mulligan, he went to much music, right? right. Isn't that, is thats that correct? That's correct. Right.
1: And he, uh, you, he had so, quite the career at much as well too.
0: Oh yeah. And he was very popular. I'm i I'm from the West coast. Well, I'm from Toronto originally, but uh, right. I've been out here most of my life. So Terry was very well known and very well liked oh in yeah. Vancouver. That's why they came and got him. Right. So, yeah. um, did you compete with them? What was the dynamic like that? There? No,
1: not at all. I think that, uh, and Terry and I have talked about this a lot of times and and have answered questions toward this sort of competition that we may or may not have had. Um, And we didn't. Um, And Terry was always very gracious to me, Um, you know, and I I think my – I had a tough – I I don't think – and I guess I'm glad that I didn't hear, you know, what the industry was thinking of me taking over from Mulligan, <laughs> who was so well respected in Vancouver. And and here's this kid out of Regina. And who is he? And then, you know, I found yeah. out a little further down the road that just about everybody auditioned for that job at every radio station across Canada, TV station. Oh, wow. And I had no idea. So, yeah. you know, the, here's me coming out to Vancouver. And it's like, who is this guy um, and why him and not yeah. me? I think. And fair enough. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and Mulligan had always been very respectful to me and, uh, and I, to him. And, um, he had one Good. time had said, you know what? I have no, uh, I don't hold any animosity towards Stu. He's made that show his own. And when I heard those words, I thought, thanks. That's, Nice. That's really nice yeah. of you to say that. And it did feel from that point on that, yeah, this is my show and I'll, I'll do it my way. And if I don't, you know, and here's another thing, God, if the internet was around then or, or social media, I would have been ripped to shreds. <laughs> like there'd be nothing left of me. Like, because people love Terry so much. They wrote yeah. and, but my producer to his credit, can uh, I love him for that. He never let me have access to the letters that were really nasty. Um, yeah. cause they were nasty. <laughs> like it's mm. who the that hell was. is this? And I'm never yeah. watching
0: the show again. And song, funny. God. Well, I, I never got that. I mean, I, I understood at the time what happened. Like I said, we're very similar in age, so I could see what happened. He went to much music. They wanted a West coast thing and they obviously he was the obvious guy. Right. I and, think too, there was a, there
1: can... was a bit of a contract issue too. I think Mully, uh, wanted, um, a little longer deal than, than mm. CBC was okay. offering. and. And CBC offered me the same thing too. Like it was basically, they were only renewing the show in 13 week periods. So it's not like you can hang your hat on that. Right. And uh, so I think, I think I might be wrong, but I think Mully was hoping like, how about a year or something like that? Make it a little more (laughs) secure. And then I think he was balancing that with talks with much music. And it was sort of like, well, no, CBC is not going to sign me for long. I think the deal at much is better. I'll go there. And I'm just guessing, but I think that's what
0: happened. Fair enough. So when you were on that show, were the videos playlisted the same as radio? Like, was there a rotation and priority and program director saying you got to play this and this?
1: No. Well, it was Ken's show. He basically decided what videos were going to be shown. And then it was also what groups were rolling into town, what interviews we had. Um, okay. And then he would match that with their latest videos. So uh, it was always new. It was always fresh. Um, and it yep. was. And he, he kind of stayed away from uh, the hip hop and rap scene. Uh, And just kind of kept it pretty, pretty mainstream. Um, And, but he got that guy could, that guy, you know, and he was older, like, I think, Ken, Mm -hmm. when I started there, I was 24. Ken was 50. Uh, And maybe Mm -hmm. maybe past that. And you would think a guy that age into videos and stuff, you know, and he was very it's an English guy, super proper, super uh, you know, yeah. buttoned down. And you would think, yeah. this guy know rock. And like he did. And he <laughs> he he knew charts. He knew he had an ear for a hit. Um wow. and he yeah, he put that show together um uh every week with sort of that in mind. Who did he see as up and coming? Uh and again, what interviews uh that we yeah. had done and were available.
0: Well, the reason I asked that is because, uh, you know, I talked to Erica M. I I talked to Christopher Ward and stuff. And, and and the point that they both made was how unscripted everything was, how it was just helter-skelter half the time. Right. The right. And they were, well, they were like
1: 24-7, right? We were only once a week, yeah. so it was a lot easier for us to have a good plan. Uh, and yes. um, I didn't have to be thinking on my feet all the time. I wrote the script, so it was already there in front of me and all that stuff. It was a lot safer. Nice. If we had to do that every week, yeah. every day of the week, yeah, totally different story.
0: Well, and, and adrenaline rushes with people coming in, you haven't had prep time, You, you they're they basically going to give you a seven-minute spot, and right. they haven't told you what you're going to do. That's <laughs> right. And
1: suddenly, you know, somebody shoves a bio in your face of some band you've never heard of before, artists, and you're like, okay, you're quickly skimming through, and now you got to do an interview with them. Yeah, crazy.
0: Wow. And I, I did watch the behind-the-scenes video from your 500th episode in 1993, I guess it was right. And it looked like you, you were fun. You were having fun. And there was lots of people around like, um, your floor directors and all the people, yeah. that, producers and stuff. So you were pretty looked after there, I would say. For sure.
1: And I yeah. got to love that video. Cause it's such a scrapbook. Um, you know, a, a 30, a, a minute and a half scrapbook of who we worked with at the time. And, um, yeah, and you can see yeah. you see me when I'm talking to that elderly guy. That's Ken, uh, who always okay. had yeah. uh, who you know always had just a little bit of information to pass on to you that you might not have had. Um, yes. He knew what the script was going in, but he might just say before it starts, you might want to add this, this, and this. Uh, why don't we try this? And he, and he was like certainly super open, but always like very hands on, uh, and I yeah. like that because he guided me through that era. It was pretty tough at first, so. He, I, my yeah. TV experience was next to nothing, and he helped me along a great deal there.
0: Yeah, fair and good point because you don't want to drive into the ditch. Here, the guy's oh. keeping you on the road, right? Basically. <laughs> That's so,
1: right. Yes, <laughs> yes, um, yes.
0: And then you did a bunch of other stuff, like you did the movie segments and and the soundtracks and right uh, so then, goes...
1: and the specials. We did those specials too all the time. Yeah. Um, the uh, movies that came later in Good Rockin's um, okay. uh, era, the we were invited on a movie junket. The very first one was. Uh, Steve Gutenberg in The Bedroom Window, he did that Hitchcock thing following up mm. uh, his role on Police Academy. So it's a young Steve. Uh, and it was in San Francisco. I had never been on a movie junket before. I had no idea how they worked. Um, and uh, so they, f- the, the movie company flew you out, put you in a beautiful hotel, um, You know, paid mm. for all your meals, whatever you needed. You'd watch the movie. And then the next day, you would interview the stars of the movie. Uh, and because we were a presenter and not a critic, it was pretty easy for us. It was all about... Uh, Tell me about you know the role you play, uh, what you liked about the role, uh, working with the director stuff. Very softball type questions, but all in the um, the final goal, just to present the movie to you, and then you decide if you like it or not. And so that opened the door to a ton of that. It was almost like once every two weeks, I was flying somewhere uh, to do and talking with you know big stars, and again, still pretty young and stupid. Like I think now, if that was my you know job. you know, have a totally different take on celebrities. And, you know, back then it was just fun. Now it's sort of like, hmm. um, you know, I don't think I could do it. I don't think I could care enough yeah. uh, about a <laughs> celebrity to, and I mean that in the nicest way. I just yeah. don't think it's such yeah. a totally different world, you know, uh, that yeah. they live in. And, and, and I think that, you know, we rely a little bit too much on what they have to say sometimes. <laughs> and I don't yeah. know if I could, uh, if I could do it again, but back then it was a lot of fun.
0: Well, I guess with the interview prep too, I often think of that for myself, having done over a hundred of these now, you know, you, you you don't want to get caught with your pants down. You don't want to say something stupid or, or ask a dumb question that, no. that you should already know the answer to.
1: For sure. For sure. And you don't, you know, that's the, that's the one part of it. And then the other part is um, how important is what, you know, how important is what you're doing to the overall thing of the show that you're doing? You know what I mean? Like what exactly is, what is its importance? What do you need to bring back? What kind of information do you need to throw forward? And as I said, it was like, if we were presenters, pretty easy. It was like, I play Joe. Uh, he's in the army. Uh, he encounters an alien. That's what this movie's about. And then we would just show clips of it. And, and there you go. Yeah. It, it was fun you uh, mingling with, um, you know, some of the <laughs> I have to tell you this is funny. I had this thought of this the other day, and I can't believe I've forgotten about it until now. Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel. Uh, yep. remember those guys? Siskel and Ebert? Siskel and Ebert. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, walked in on a in the hospitality suite of a junket we were on. I can't remember the movie, but they walked in and I swear to God, you had a whole bunch of journalists and people, you know, newspaper and radio and TV all in the same room talking to each other. Everybody went quiet and they just watched him walk up. Gene says, or, or uh, Ebert grabs some chicken wings, and Siskel grabs a drink, and they're kind of talking to each other. And then they walked out again, and it was like, Oh my god, yeah. the biggest celebrities in the world! Like, we're talking to movie stars, and these yeah. were like the legends coming in. It was That's so funny, funny,
0: <laughs> it's like juicy.
1: Oh my god. <clears throat>
0: Well, I mean, you interviewed some pretty, but you interviewed Paul McCartney, right? Did you go uh, Chris Farley on, on him when you, uh, no, when you interviewed?
1: Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> Remember when you were with the Beatles? <laughs> so Dan, this is the cool story about that though. I, I, I said, I did an interview when I got the good rocking job with the CBC Regina uh, and they were very nice to me. And um, uh, the person who was doing the interview asked, so who, what kind of artist would make you, you know, nervous or whatever, what, or what would blow your mind? And I said immediately, Mark Knopfler from Dire Straits, who I still love, and Paul McCartney. Right. And I said, I yeah. think I would have to. I think I would be super nervous. I would have to take a deep breath and make sure I didn't blow the questions and stuff. Uh, and I got a chance through Good Rockin' to talk to both of those guys. And McCartney yeah. was in Montreal uh, on the Flowers in the Dirt tour, and I'll never forget. I'm sitting in my office in Vancouver. Uh, Ken comes in and he says, "Remember how you said you would, uh, you know, retire after interviewing Paul McCartney?" And I was like, "Yeah." He goes, "Well, you got the interview." <laughs> Uh, oh. it's this weekend in Montreal and I'm like, Oh, wow. okay. So we go out there and it's like, I'm freaking, uh, and Ken, uh, comes to my room and we sit down and we start talking about questions that we're going to ask him. And then Ken says, um, well, you know, obviously we got to cover the Beatles. And I'm like, oh. like, I know that, that, that we need to, but how many times has he done it? And I don't want him to get mad. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want mm-hmm. him to go roll yeah. his eyes. Like, Oh boy, here we go again. But, you know, Ken was obviously right. You're talking to McCartney. The Beatles are going to come up. Yeah. Um, So we've sort of came up with these questions that we would ask him to kind of sort of tiptoe around it and see where he goes. So the interview started and I can't remember what my very first question was, but Paul answered that question and then took me on this wonderful, like two and a half minute soundbite tour of he, the Beatles, getting together with Lennon, doing this, 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 and this, and then coming full circle and answered just about the first five or six questions that I had nice. in that little segment. And I remember yeah. while he's answering all, I'm nodding my head and I'm, you know, very interested obviously, but in my head I'm going, Oh my God, it's freaking Paul McCartney. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. I'm talking
0: to Paul McCartney. On
1: the it was yeah. so, yeah. So in that way I Farley, but I made sure I didn't, you know, uh, zone out yeah. completely. And uh, he was what a wonderful yeah. dude. What a wonderful, wonderful dude. Never forget it.
0: You didn't, you didn't say to him, Wow, you're Paul McCartney. Yes, I am. I'm blowing it. I'm
1: just blowing it.
0: <laughs> so that was going on in your
1: head. I'm yeah, sure. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But he was, you know what, he, uh, uh, and, you know, I got a picture with him afterwards and I, um, that's great. Yeah. I, I uh, like, I, that's why I cherish it. And of course I made them into Christmas cards, uh, sent them to all my friends saying Merry Christmas from me. And what's his name? <laughs> it
0: was like, awesome. yeah, that's funny. <laughs> Well I mean in an event, I mean through your career, you talk to like Tom Jones and Robert plant and Phil Collins, and you know you talk to everybody basically at some point, so it, it becomes I don't want to say clinical, but I mean at some point you're like, you know what I mean I'm the interviewer, you're the guy, uh, yeah, we're good and it's yeah. and it yeah,
1: and it uh you know after a while, you realize you're asking a lot of the same questions all the time and yeah. um and you kind of hope the one thing that I learned um and that I kind of I sort of Uh, pride myself on now is that my interviews when even when I do them to today um, are more conversational than interviewee. And Mm -hmm. I always, if there's one thing I learned and and I loved and I got respect for was um, I listened to what they had to say. And you know this, when you talk to people, um, it's one thing to have 20 of the most brilliant questions in the world, but it's not worth a rat's ass if you're not able to apply them to a conversation you're having. And Mm -hmm. um, like, you may be talking with whomever and suddenly they go down a road where you, you know, none of the questions had anticipated that road. But when you're having a conversation, you can go down that road with them and then bring yeah. it back if you need to or find out something else. But if you don't listen, you miss it all, right? If you're concentrating on the 20 questions you have to ask, uh, you miss it. I knew my producer, Ken, I, I know it drove him nuts sometimes. We had some really great questions and I would never look down at them it, depending mm-hmm. on what the, where the conversation was going. <laughs> and he was like... Yeah why didn't you ask <laughs> Well, he was talking about this and I wanted to talk about that. So, you know, it, it, yeah. it made him crazy a little bit, but it was, I, I, I love that. I, I'd much rather be a fly on the wall for a conversation than a 20 question interview.
0: Yeah, no, that's a good point. And, and it's a push pull because, yeah. you know, I like to direct the conversation to a certain extent, but you have to let it go where it goes for sure. So exactly. it's a push pull. Right. And
1: also too, and be able to rein it back when, you know, it's getting a little yeah. bit too ridiculous and whatever. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, interesting. And then, and then how important was the Canadian artist? Like you, you interviewed, you know, Gil and Rick from uh, Triumph. I've talked to both of those guys, and they're great guys, great interviews, right. and just real down to earth guys. But but you had the, the Canadian content, so you had the CanCon aspect of it. But you were also, it seems to me, interested in the Canadian music scene.
1: Oh, I loved it. I love the Canadian. And in, in the 80s, it was thriving and um, it was exciting. And even in the early 90s, it was exciting while the show was on. Um, I mean, Corey and Brian and, uh, Platinum Blonde and Honeymoon Suite, Kim Mitchell, yeah. who was just, Kim is Lovely. like one of the coolest dudes in rock and roll. Um, and one of the first yeah. guys that I talked to, and he was so unbelievably supportive of me He knew that I was new and, uh, you know, a little bit, uh, wet behind the ears and he was just so helpful and accommodating and yeah. all these cool. guys were, um, and two. They were Canadian rock and roll, right? So, uh, you know, you had that royalty on a TV show once a week and and of course, and being Canadian artists more than accommodating you know, it's like, how much time do you need? You got it. You know, there was never, there was never any, you've got 10 minutes and then you got to get the hell out of here. Um, those guys were great. God, I loved, I loved every minute. of bought blue rodeo when they first started out that debut album, I can see them coming into the studio talking about aspirations Mm -hmm. and things and, yeah, yeah, so cool.
0: Oh, good. Well, I, I love Kim Mitchell. I got to open for him one time here in, in Vernon about 10 years ago, so I got to meet him finally because I'd right. never met him before, but great guy. Great Isn't he player. a great
1: guy? Just, He's just, uh, Kim's Canadian, man. Kim yeah, is just Canadian. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then I watched the Behind the Vinyl with the Sultans of Swing, which was was ah. really cool. That's That struck me on a number of levels. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the fact that you really liked Mark Knopfler, you and I are, are very similar in our tastes. And, and when right. that song came out and there was a, there was a poll that was done some years ago and it said, what are the songs that you never get tired of hearing? Right. Like if you had to make a list of those songs, right. Right. And, and that was one of the songs for me was Sultan's the yeah. Swing. It, like, I, every time it comes on, I turn it up and I listen to the whole song. I love it. I yeah. Still
1: love it. it is such a classic. I just saw, uh, uh, an interview with, uh, Mark I guess, years down the line. And he said, uh, he said he came home, he did a show uh, and he did Sultan's and he, he, he felt, I'm trying to, um, I think the the essence of it was he felt like he didn't quite get the response from the audience that he thought he, he should have gotten for that song because it's so legendary. And he mm-hmm. told his wife that. And she said, well, did you do the funny bits at the end? And by the funny bits, she meant the solo, right? And he said, no. Yeah, and she said, well, there. that's yeah. why they're listening to that song. <laughs> they want to hear the funny bits at the end. And he's like, oh, yeah. right. And he said it was kind of a lesson learned. Never leave out the important stuff, right? Because that's why we're
0: there. Yeah. Well, those arpeggios at the end are great. But I mean, that, oh. what you said on there was totally right. That was a breath of fresh air. When I heard that song, there's certain songs that you hear for the first time, and you love them instantly, and you know that you're gonna love them for the rest of your life.
1: Isn't like that funny? And it's so true, so true. And you yeah. uh yeah. you I remember um uh, Warren Zevon's Werewolves of London when I first heard it, I yeah. remember uh, perking up because it was different, especially with the Aoos, yeah. but then that made me get the album Excitable Boy, and I was like, Oh my god, this is amazing yeah. music, and so uh raw and so um um in your face and and subtle, yeah. but in your face. And I found that with dire straits. Um, yeah, there was just, cool. it, there was like, you could like, I can play guitar to save my life, but there was a talent in there that was like, this is oh, something right. This is something special. Exceptional.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you a cheap question. Then what, do you have a favorite song of all songs? I, I know I do as a musician, but I, you know, it's kind of a hard question to Not ask. Of all songs,
1: songs by dire straits or just song of all songs?
0: No, just all of all time. What's your favorite? What would be if you had to pick one song that really represents everything that musical that you love? I know for right. me, it's carry on wayward son by the, by Kansas. Like to me, Beauty. that song is the ultimate rock song in the world. And and I want to play yeah. it in, in its entirety on my funeral. I want them to play <laughs> carry on wayward son, the whole song and they all got to sit there and listen to it.
1: <laughs> that's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. That's classic for sure. I guess, you know, well, I, I, sultans has got to be up there um yeah, sultans exactly. and um you know i gotta this is going to seem kind of weird but i will say that uh jerry rafferty um like baker street oh, is like it. it's it's yeah it's got one of the, that's one of there those songs know. that you like whoa um uh sultans jerry rafferty maybe if i pick a third one oh i i would have to say Zepp's whole lot of love and then um also throw in All My Love because uh and Fool in the Rain, just because they're all yeah. so different. But and and if you do them like if you just play them back to back, it's like, what is this band? Like who are they and what are they doing? Right. It's yeah. they did everything. Yeah. And so, and I wouldn't say that I'm a hardcore Zeppelin fan, but those three songs mean a lot too. But yeah. I say put Sultans at the top.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, no, that's cool. I, you wouldn't get an argument from me, but the interesting thing too, about the, the time that we grew up in the sixties and seventies, you know, my dad used to joke about us listening to acid rock. And I said, we listened to Cat Stevens and James Taylor, and we listened to Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple. I loved all Hell of it. And yeah. we got a real wide range of, of stuff. And then you had a wide range of fairly wide range of music and you spoke to a wide range of artists as well.
1: Right. Right. So you really got the, and you know, you had to listen. We had the time, fortunately, even if they were new, we could listen to uh, the album uh, before we talked to them. We could watch a couple of videos that they've done before we talked to them. We could find out or at least guess what their influences were before we talked to them. So you could see where that conversation Mm -hmm. would go. And that, yeah, it just gives you such a, like, I mean, my, um, you know on Apple music, they have uh, you know, they, they have like a, the music that you like and they call it Stu Jeffrey mm. station or whatever your name is. They call right. it your radio station. Uh, when I walk the dog, I put it on all the time, and it's basically music curated to my taste. Uh and I'm thinking man <laughs> I am in this like zone you know from sort of mid 60s to yeah around 93 94 and I'm not going any farther than that and if I do yeah. it's like you know maybe for the odd song but I got that's my zone right there that's where I'm happiest yeah.
0: yeah I mean I would agree too but then also the range I like, I'm happy listening to Ann Murray as I am listening to White Snake so glad you said that. I, yeah.
1: Yesterday yeah, okay. when I was walking Millie, I, Snowbird came on and I rocked to that baby. Yeah. That, that is a great song.
0: And she's awesome. And too. she's
1: like, awesome. Yes. Yeah. Totally great.
0: So that that's kind of a nice uh, part of our musical tastes as well.
1: Yeah. And I'm, you know what? The other yeah. thing too you learn is, I guess it's just you get older. I try and tell this to my boys. Mm-hmm. Don't let anybody tell you that the music you listen to sucks or... Or, or why yeah. would you listen to that? It's so subjective and screw you. I like what I like and I don't have to defend it. And I Absolutely. can just dig it and you can dig yours. And I'm not going to bug you about yours. Like, you know, yeah. go ahead, knock yourself out. But people that yeah. go after other people say, well, you know, and even you look on uh, Facebook, there's always somebody uh, that tweets. Uh, uh, do you like real music or do you like, you know, whatever yeah. the band yeah. of the day is? And you're like, come on, dude, really? Whatever. You want to be that guy? Yeah. It's like, no, yeah. we like what we like.
0: Well, for sure. And it's, if, if you use a food analogy, you know, some people like tacos and some people don't, but whatever, fill your, fill your, fill your boots, man, whatever. Yeah.
1: Like live and let live, man. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, well, the other thing that struck me about your stuff is that you made some friends along the way too. I watched the interview you did with Alan Frew. That was quite touching. Yeah. It was a kind of a personal conversation more than just an interviewer and interviewee. It was a couple of friends.
1: Yeah, for sure. And he like with glass tiger, um, you know, I've always told the guys same with bare naked ladies. Um, I've always said that, you know, I grew up, I not grew up. I grew uh, old with you guys. Like it's almost like mm-hmm. we all grew up together in the same era now. And mm-hmm. obviously their level of success, you know, far, far, uh, mine. but, uh, we were learning our thing together. Uh, and glass mm-hmm. tiger, uh, bare naked ladies were two that I always think of. And Corey Hart too, who, uh, was, um, you know, I, I would call him I would call him one of these great friends that I don't see a lot of but whenever I do right. I am reminded of why I like him uh and mm. and why he is so um he's just a good guy and he yeah. and and he's one of those guys that was very supportive of me and he didn't have to be um you know and he was and you know I'll never forget that and yeah you do kind of although <laughs> as I've said uh before you got to be uh careful on um, when you think you've connected with somebody. Um when I uh it was in the early nine ninety one I think we were flown out to uh Los Angeles to go to the on the Queen Mary and we were going to celebrate Queen signing with Hollywood Records. Uh and hmm. Freddie Mercury uh was sick at the time but nobody knew how sick and he, he didn't make the trip. But Brian May okay. did and Roger Taylor did. And so we had interviews with both of them. Uh, and um in my interview with Brian May, what a gentleman. I mean, it went just, it was so good. And at the end of the interview, he was very effusive. He said, you know, I, I really enjoyed this. Those were such great questions. Thank you so much. This was super enjoyable. And he really looked genuine and I'm sure he was at the time. And I, and I was thinking, oh my God, Brian May likes me. This is really cool. And I said, well, we'll see you tonight on the Queen Mary. And he goes, absolutely. Look forward to it. And so a couple hours later, we're on the Queen Mary and Brian is introduced and Roger Taylor is introduced and they're kind of walking along this thing that's kind of roped off and I see him come towards me and he looks at me and I'm thinking, well, okay, I'll just hold up my hand. Okay, Brian, hey, great to see you again. And he's going to say some nice things. <laughs> so I held up my hand for him to shake my hand. He puts his empty glass into it and says, I'll have a vodka and orange juice, please. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty Just, and i could feel <laughs> the blood come to my <laughs> head and stuff and i remember the yeah. cameraman uh, who was at much music tony wanamaker uh he said what happened to you because you looked at my face my face just don't you know, and crush and i told him and he goes oh that's a tough one <laughs> like, yeah. so never think you make a connection with somebody just because it was a good interview he probably he said that and then promptly forgot who i was yeah so well
0: yeah. and and typically it's more than once like with the, the interview with alan obviously you you had associated with him for many, sure many times, exactly right? and
1: Brian and so, was a one-off and he you know I could yeah. be Joe schlepp he didn't really care but it was it was nice of him to say those things though <laughs> but I learned a valuable yeah. lesson in that for sure
0: <laughs> well it's funny too because some some interviews obviously you know you have interviewed people who are intoxicated or maybe full of <sighs> themselves how do you deal with that
1: yeah it didn't happen that often but when it did um yeah it wasn't very good uh and we went to um the uk for a week to do um just a ton of interviews. We did um like we had some scheduled. Phil Collins was one. Mm. Um, I forget some of the big players that we talked to, uh, but then there were others that just we picked up along the way. So it was one of those cases where I was in the elevator going up to whatever a record company office to interview some band, and I was reading their bio on the way up. I had no idea who they were to try and do this interview, so it was crazy. Yeah, um yeah. uh but anyway, I talked to Mark Hollis from talk talk. Who's no longer with us. And I won't speak ill of the dead, but
0: Mm. it was,
1: it was, we did probably, I want to say 30 interviews in that week, maybe even more. Yeah. And he's the only one I remember Mm. because he was so mean, like just so Mm. mean. And it, uh, it made me so mean that it made me question: Do I still want to do this anymore? He was interesting, just, yeah. It's wow. just, yeah. So every time I play that song, I, I mean, sadly, that's the yeah. only memory I have of him. And I'm sure he mellowed with, with age before he died. But oh,
0: so was, was it was it ego or what? what no, was it the... was
1: like he, I asked a question about the album that he uh, and I can't remember what the album was. It was after It's My Life, so whatever the next album was, and it was. Mm. Let me tell you something. I think a musician's uh, record in a lot of ways where musicians would understand what he was trying to do, but just the guy was sort of a mainstream ear. I don't think I picked it up necessarily. So I wanted him to explain mm. like, what did you set out to do when you went into the studio to do this album? And he, his face turned red right away. I remember that. <laughs> and he covered his mouth. And as he covered his mouth, he goes, I'm not going to talk about what I had for fucking lunch. And oh. I said, I said, I didn't ask you what you had oh. for lunch. And then he, he got mad and he said, look what I wanted to do. And it was like, he was lecturing me. And I thought, oh. okay, and then that sort of rattled me, and I can't remember anything with that interview yeah. afterwards. And Huey Lewis was another one who, um, you know, I always have this this memory of he was touring with Bruce Hornsby, and um, he loved Bruce, Bruce Hornsby, and I had just taken over for Terry. And Terry had interviewed Huey, and I guess the two of them had gotten along. And then when Huey saw me there, he was sort of like, well, you know and Terry was with uh, with much music and he did Huey in the other room so they had already talked so Huey basically came in and the look on his face was who's this kid uh, yeah, and mean. Ken my producer was there and he said uh, we did the interview and it was okay it was like 5 minutes that's all we had and then he said mm. to me he said make sure you listen to this guy and he pointed at Ken he said he can teach you a thing or two and I'm like thanks oh. thanks man that's really awesome yeah. of you to say that. <laughs> i appreciate it <laughs> i felt well, it's interesting yeah. yeah i felt like my dad had just you know come in and told me i sucked and it was like okay and it's funny those little things he probably doesn't even remember it but i do like to this day yeah
0: well i think i mean some people might be hung over they might be in a bad mood or maybe their record company said you got to talk to this guy for sure yeah Yeah. whatever i'm hungry i want to have lunch exactly and those things can be
1: the worst (laughs) because you're answering those questions all the time it's not like there's anything brand new being thrown at you you know but I, yeah. if there's one thing I've learned out of that, if ever I was to be interviewed for anything, that I, regardless of the question, I promise myself will always be more than accommodating because I know how it feels when it goes south and it's yeah. it's not a good feeling.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it, it, it makes you humble too. You know, for talking sure. about being on TV and radio when you blow it, you, you feel I know. How, why and why of course, not? you know,
1: <laughs> everybody would be the first to tell you that you blew it too. Cause yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So an interesting question I've, that I've, that I've posed to several people and I want to get your take on it is, you know, when the video craze came out in the early eighties, like I thought that that was going to be forever. I thought, okay, we got videos now. Every, every major hit song is going to have a big video, like a high budge video attached to it. Right. And that whole thing kind of had it, it had its run and then it sort of went away and yeah. I'm not quite sure why that is.
1: Yeah. I know, but you know, I guess. I don't know. Like, I guess people still do promo clips now and you still see a yeah. lot of that, but you're right. The craze and the actual desire for it to like watch an hour long show or watch it 24 uh, seven, you know, video after video and interview after interview, it did kind of just go. Um, yeah. And I'm not sure, I guess it's the way we sort of consume our the way we consume our music changes. And so the way we watch our music changes, I mean, we have access to mm-hmm you know, a bajillion songs anytime that we want. Um, there's no, um, we don't, we can, and we can stream and binge whatever we want. Uh, uh, we don't have a schedule or an event to sit down in front of something to watch it. And nor, I think, do we have the time? I think we're, we've moved on. (laughs) Like, I think now I, for better or for worse, um, you know, for now, for back in the day, it was show me your video. Uh, and that video might make you like the song, whereas that wasn't the way before. And now it's just show me your song, let me hear your song. You got about seven seconds to you know catch my yeah. ear, and if not, I'm going <laughs> to click your forward button, right? So yeah, I think it's just the way we consume. It's just different. We but we I think personally we've been given too much. <laughs> we don't know what yeah, to it's do with overload, all. <laughs> Sense, sensory
0: right. overload, right? Exactly. Well, the other yeah. thing. The other thing too, is that like some of those videos were very expensive, obviously the big hair videos and stuff. Yeah. You got, okay, they all look the same, but then some of the concept videos were just weird.
1: Totally. And they took, and they that's what, what, right off the top of, what we were talking about how I was kind of an anti-video guy. Cause I, I used to, yeah. I agreed with the ones that said, I hate for the song to be that in your head. The video that you see is how you think of the song. Whenever you hear the song, uh, mm. like if I hear, um, when I first heard hungry, like the wolf without seeing the video, I thought it was just a great song. But now when I hear it, I still think it's a great song. But now I see Simon running through the jungle and all of that stuff. Whereas before, I thought it was a guy that became a wolf and he was hungry. You know, whatever. It <laughs> was my image of the yeah. song, right? And so now, okay, no, it's this. Um, Hall & Oates, who I loved uh, and still love. Um, I mean, they, th- I think they pride, uh, prided themselves on doing goofy-type videos but it kind of wrecked it for me like private eyes. I thought it was a great song, but you watch that video and you're like,
0: Hey, this
1: song's really hokey.
0: (laughs) Well, and and I, yeah. And I talked to Alfie Zappacosta about the video. We get the, the girls are jello wrestling and stuff he said he's just totally embarrassed by it now exactly. some director came up with hey we're gonna do this we're gonna do that you know okay whatever
1: yeah and you sort of and you kind of signed off on it right and then but you know yeah. i think oh, what yeah. you forget is that's like looking at a scrapbook you got to go back and see it every so often <laughs> so <laughs> i feel badly for those guys
0: Yeah. So it kind of, it kind of ran its course. And then, and then, well, you did switch back as well. So you were doing Mm -hmm. two shows at once. Is that right?
1: That's right. Yeah. The, uh, (laughs) I would, I was doing, um, middays in Regina. So I had not quit my radio job yet. So, um, I would do middays, Monday to Friday, fly out Saturday morning to Vancouver, uh, tape good rocket on Saturday and Sunday and then fly back. And then when the switchback job Mm -hmm. was offered to me, I was working at mornings in Edmonton, Uh, And I would do Edmonton Monday to Friday, fly out Friday. I would do good Rockin' on Saturdays, live switch back on Sunday, fly back and then start the Monday to Friday cycle again. Um, And again, young and stupid. Of course I would do it. I've young, uh, you know, (laughs) even though I was tired, I had no idea how tired I was. I would just keep going. Um, And then eventually I thought, no, I got to forget about radio traveling and radio, try and sort of base myself in Vancouver uh, and then do that. It became a lot easier but I found yeah. um, as the years went by, Herb Baring, who was a producer of, of Switchback in Vancouver, is one of my favorite people. And he, uh, man, he put together a great show and he put up with a lot for me. It was a hard time because I was doing too much uh, yeah. and um, it was starting to take its toll. And the whole 80s mm. environment was starting to take its toll, right? And you, as I say yeah. to my boys, yeah, I said, hey. so what were you like in the 80s? I said, well, all I can tell you is that I was in the entertainment business uh, and yeah. in, in, on a national level and it was crazy and i found that it was too much and um yeah. so after a while i was kind of burning out and he could see it and uh, you know the switchback was over and probably had a really good time i don't think i could have continued to do it and i think i probably would have really messed it up had i so uh you know it was yeah. kind of a reawakening and then things were awesome after that but i got to love that show that show yeah. was so that show was so high energy like when it was over yeah. <laughs> it was the equivalent of collapsing like, oh my God, yeah. crazy. Well,
0: it's interesting. I know because Eric Am had said something similar. She didn't have time at the time to actually absorb what was going on around her because everything was coming at her at hundred miles an hour. So you're just yeah. basically going on autopilot doing whatever's put in front of you you're dealing with at the time exactly but a couple questions about switchback i wanted to ask you one is Mm -hmm. how you adjusted your presentation for a younger audience because now you're into a bit of a different world because you're appealing to teens and and younger people
1: right i uh did the only thing i had in my mind that i wanted to do uh was to not make fun of the kids so it was okay it wanted it to be um i found that um depending on who was hosting the show, because there were different hosts across Canada, I found that it was really easy when you got a kid on the phone to kind of, you know, be kind of jokey and kind of sort of make fun of that person, mm. not really making fun of, but sort of maybe making fun of the fact that they're nervous or whatever. It's so okay. easy to shatter a kid, right? Like, I mean, yeah. and, and even if you didn't mean to. So that was the thing for me. All I knew was I was talking to kids, they were young uh, and they're, they're watching me. So I want to be uh, their friend. And so what yeah, would a nice. friend do? I, you know, I'd let them, um, I'd let them into my uh, room. We could play with my stuff, you know, like that sort of thing. So that was it. And then just a chance, because it was live, uh, just a t- chance to turn it loose. Like, um, yeah. it was, it was pretty fun. Like you, <laughs> I remember the very first show <laughs> I did, um, was insane. And it was 90 minutes long and it went by so fast. I couldn't believe it. And uh, my producer of Good Rockin' Ken came in because we taped the show for Good Rockin' afterwards. He said, I sat down with a piece of paper and a pencil and I was going to make notes on things that maybe you should do, you know, basically critique the show for me. And he meant it in the nicest way. And he said, here's what I wrote. And he handed it to me. It was a blank piece of paper. He said, you were made to do this show. And it was sort of like, okay, that's awesome. And that was was the other thing.
0: That was the second thing that struck me though. So now instead of being a VJ or a DJ or being an on-air personality, now you're doing skits and stuff too. Yeah,
1: exactly. And it was super, ah, God, you know, it's hard to, um, say when you're in your twenties to people that you're working with, how tired you are, uh, and how (laughs) exhausting this is, uh, when they're looking at you going, dude, the world is at your feet right now. Quit complaining and just do your job. But, um, it's hard. Like, and it was hard. It's hard on the brain you um you just you you're shifting gears so much and you're you're giving so much energy to what you're doing particularly switchback uh but even good rocking you're projecting for that camera it's non-stop energy you've got to hit 15 second timeouts and 30s and so on you've got to be funny you got to be present yeah. um you know it's hard like really hard sometimes so uh you know, I could not do that now. I'd have a straight up heart attack if I did it now. But yeah. Back then it, it, yeah. it did really take its toll. Um, but as with anything, the years go by and I've got nothing but great memories of that. So, um, you know, it's also, but I just do remember there were times we're doing skits and I'm like, I got nothing left. I can't do this anymore, <laughs> yeah. Ah! Yeah. but crazy. Yeah.
0: I know. Well, we used to play the breakfast show all the time and, and, and we'd get there at 5 30 in the morning, right? Well, we've only had two hours sleep. We're all musicians, right? So right, you gotta exactly. pretend that you're not tired. Like you're exactly. dead tired. Your eyes yeah. are like, oh, it's terrible. Yeah, but and you you've got, you, it,
1: you yeah, know. you smell like the bar you were at the night before, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> <Like> <laughs> Sometimes going, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's oh. hard.
0: Nope. Yep. Um, so good rocking got canceled in ninety-three, but then you went on to do some other stuff. You just sports magazine and entertainment magazine and stuff. Did you kind of wander about?
1: Yeah, it was that's kind of a great way of putting it. I was just wondering about um I would, uh, when good rocking was over, I think, uh, one part of me was like, I guess I'm not going to work in television again. For some reason, I just told myself, I guess that's it. Mm. Uh, which I was fine with. Um, as long as I was working in radio, I'd be happy. Uh, and, uh, then some, yes, yeah, just some shows just came out of that. There was the score, uh, which ran during the, um, the doubleheader hockey game on the West coast, yep. which is great. Um, and there was uh there was a game. Oh, I did game shows with Blair Murdoch, which I loved. I did um, acting. I was a guest on Acting Crazy, but also did um, Love Handles. I hosted that show. Love yeah. Handles, yeah, uh, which I'm yeah. very proud of. That first of all, it was so much fun, yeah. uh, and secondly, that was the first game show with same sex couples, and it was it was really kind of cool to be on that. I mean, it wasn't particularly good. Blair would say the same thing, but it yeah. was a lot of fun to do. Um, so it's kind of just sort of sticking my, uh, you know, my, uh, my hands into whatever was out there. I was, I was fortunate enough to get the odd offer every so often to do something and I never really turned it down and, um, yeah, I had a lot, of, had a lot of fun doing it, but it was kind of nice dabbling as opposed to have that as your full-time thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it did remind me of how much I missed radio and, and, um, right. I was fortunate enough to be able to stay in it during all of this and. And, uh, now like, you know, now I'm sort of, I'm looking at retirement square in the eyes and, and, um, and happy to be doing it in radio.
0: Well, it struck me about the the sports magazine too, cause that was kind of a jump shift, right? You yeah. Know, did you get slagged for that? Like, um, who, who was it that went on? To, um, why well, can't I think of his name now, but, uh, he went on to hockey night in Canada.
1: Oh, I didn't, um... I didn't, I, I don't know if I got slagged. I didn't think people, uh, I don't think knew, you know, didn't think I had the goods to do it. Um, and of course, you
0: Stephanopoulos is who I was it, thinking. of. Oh yeah. Right. When, when yeah. George did that. Yeah. And he got slagged for that. Cause he's not a hockey guy. He's a talker. He's a Oh
1: yeah. Ex- that's, oh, yeah Strombo. Yeah, right. Yeah. Cause right. when they did the whole remake of sports, yes. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and good for him. I thought that was kind of a cool gig, but uh, you know, you, you knew it was doomed from the start because it was like, what are you guys doing? You just took a recipe for something and you know, it's like, what are you doing? But, and it had nothing to do with the host. They were all doing what they were told, but it was like, what are you doing? Just don't mess with people's Saturday night hockey. Um, uh, but I, I, I I didn't get really slagged. I, I I just found it for me, it was, and the way I've kind of operated all these years, um, it's, which is kind of funny is that if people think that I can't do it, or I hear that somebody says that I can't do it, 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 you know, it's one thing to say motivates me. That's cliche. It actually, for me, it makes me mad. yeah So, and when I get mad, um, I, 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 I develop a really, uh, strong, not only will I show you, I'm going to ram it down your throat yeah. and, and you'll, you'll not only see but you'll you'll feel badly for saying what you said, not that people would. But that's how I, I I took it very personally. And um and I I to this day, if somebody's got something to say about my abilities, or or though no, he can't do that, or why is he doing that? This single person show I've been doing at Boom 97.3 in Toronto for now 12 years, yeah. uh, when we first started, it was like, no, a single person show is not gonna work. It's just not. You need multiple people, you need a producer, you need a blah blah blah. Um, and that's all it took for me. It was sort of like, okay, I'm going to make you, it's going to be so hard for you to remove me from this <laughs> microphone. I will show you that it can be done, yeah. and I'll do it, and there you'll go. see. Yeah. Um, and it's like, I think, I think I'm kind of looking forward to retirement because it's yeah. exhausting. Yeah, it's a long of- <laughs> time looking forward. Well, yeah, I'm tired, of, I'm tired of being mad all the time.
0: Well, you know what? But you make a good overall point in just owning it. I had a manager years ago who was a crusty old guy. And and uh, he said to me one time, he said, when I put you on that stage, you own that stage. You've peed on those corners. That is your territory. Sure, yes. I'm like, well. Yes, yeah. <laughs>
1: well, and it's, you know what? It's true, man. I mean, it's your thing. Huh? And it's like, and if it's your thing, then do your thing, yeah. right? And do it like the best that you can. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: Step up or step off exactly
1: you know. next yeah exactly well so <laughs> yeah. you
0: had a little did you have a little gig at to cmt for a while
1: oh uh-huh. yeah and that was also fun uh yeah, yeah um that was uh, cmt central who uh, i hosted that with Alyssa lansdale um and uh, a couple of other people along the way and that was yeah it was a lot of fun uh making the shift to country for the few years that i did that was also really uh cool and i'm so glad i did yeah. because that's like a Country to me at that time was like a club that I had just been invited into that I had no idea existed. Mm-hmm. And it was like, this is really, really cool. And coming from sort of a rock and roll background where, you know, rock and roll for me at its peak in the 80s and early 90s it had was full of attitude. It still is with a lot of bands. Yeah country is exactly the opposite country is what can i do for you what do you need you know you i give you a half hour what you want to do a special on me we'll talk for three hours like whatever (laughs) they are so accommodating and so absolutely genuine yeah um you know, I'm so glad I was able to do that. CMT was a lot of fun. Oh,
0: good. Well, and it, it was kind of a nice move, I guess, a, a somewhat different world, but familiar in many ways. So you were familiar. Yeah.
1: From it. It's music, right? Yeah. So yeah, at the end of the day, just know your stuff and yeah. yeah.
0: And then you, you ended up, of course, you mentioned boom, 97.3 in, in Toronto. That's what you're doing now. Classic yeah. music. So it's seventies uh, to nineties. Is that what you. Yeah.
1: Seventies, eighties, nineties. And it does, uh, you know, we, we, we pulled from the sixties a bit, the two thousands, yeah. a little okay. bit later. Um, but mostly the, the, the shoot is seventies, eighties, nineties. So, um, yeah, talk about, you know, when you find that, like, that's, oh, <laughs> that's yeah, my right. wheelhouse, man, oh, yeah. this is where I belong. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's, and it's like, um, it, it, what, what I love is I know this music inside out. Oh, and yeah. so, um you know it it just not only makes it fun it also makes it really easy when you know what you're yeah well you're
0: you know, a, when, you, when you know what you're doing you're a doctor you're of music about. now at this yeah point, yeah now, that's right, right exactly that,
1: <laughs> that's right that's right. yeah you know what the older you become you become an expert after oh, a while yeah, right people <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah. you must be an expert he's like 60
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what's the current state of radio what's the future of radio ah good question i um
1: You know, it's not good. Like, it really isn't. And it's it's not um, any one particular um, company. Uh, It's just that there are so few and they own so much. Mm. Um, And there's not, you know, I don't know. There's just not a lot of avenues, as I mentioned off the top. There's not a lot of avenues for new people into broadcasting uh, to cut their teeth anymore. There's no all night positions anymore. Lots of syndication. Uh, particularly in small markets um and medium markets and even in the major markets of syndication across the board right. for um an old school announcer like me you know it it's kind of, it's sad to see and a lot of people lose their jobs on a regular basis and it's just the way things are right now yeah. and I, I i don't see a change uh in the future but i will say this um we have uh heard the death knell for radio has been going on for years yeah. we have We've heard, um, oh my God, uh, the album has come out with more than one song on it. Well, no one's going to listen to radio when they can listen to their albums at home or the recordable cassette is out or recordable eight track. Now people will just tape their own music and listen in cars, satellite radios here. No, my God, no one's going to listen to commercial radio anymore Um, over and over and over again. And yet here we are uh, as viable as ever, but just, I think, uh, a little more bruised uh, and battered Uh, but still uh, very much a part of the landscape. And I, I don't see that changing. I just see, you know, the amount of opportunities changing.
0: Yeah, and and some good points in there. Obviously, uh, radio is not going to die because we still I still listen to radio every day. I mean, when I drive in my car, there's still some viable radio stations. Yep. But it's not, you know, like you and I lived in a time when it's not going to come back when bands were breaking. The primary source for new music was radio and stuff. That's just not the case anymore. It was radio it's right? just history?
1: And the energy yeah. that was involved in that. I was so fortunate to grow up to 70s radio yeah. where they were doing all their business over the intros of songs. Right, like yeah. it was. As a magical time, magical time. Very, very good.
0: So it's not the primary source, but it's still surviving. And I get what you mean about the, like the overnight shows are all just pre-recorded, right? And they just run the. the,
1: Yeah. Yeah. And there's not, and that's, and it's a shame uh, because, you know, really, what would it cost you? You know, 400 bucks, Um, you know, just put somebody in there to learn. And believe me, if you're, if you were as passionate as uh, about radio as I am, or you are, or anybody, if you're passionate, you'll work for peanuts just for an opportunity uh, to show your stuff. And we all have done that
0: and draw um, listeners, you know, you're trying to draw listeners, right?
1: Sure. Draw listeners. And you know what, have somebody call you and say you stink. And then what do you do from there? You know what I mean? Like it's, (laughs) it's, it's all, it's all part of it.
0: Yeah. So did you ever have any aspirations of, you know, going to the U S or being a U.S. broadcaster or moving there?
1: No, not really. Only when I was, uh, I was out of work for a brief while in, uh, I want to say, Oh, eight, Something like that it didn't last for too long, but um I had sort of I was looking at all kinds of opportunities uh south of the border mm. and um uh, there was a couple that kinda came up, but um, when I say kinda, I don't think that it, it, or maybe it would have materialized into something, but I don't think my heart was in it yeah um i I thought for a moment that maybe it's time for a complete change and we'll just sort of look at a different radio landscape and south of the border kind of appealed to me and then I heard that Guam had this kick-ass radio station, I thought, well, what would you like to work in Guam? that would be pretty cool um But I never, you know, I never sort of went after it too hard. And then I found myself back on my feet again here in Toronto and, and, um, you know, that's where I've been ever since. So Hmm. it's good. Yeah. You do, you do kind of look, you know, but also I'm a family guy, you know, I've got kids and to, and a wife and to uproot and, you know, that's a. That's a major, it's a major deal now. It's not as easy as it was when you can throw all your shit in one box in the back of the car well, no, and off you go. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And, and that's, a, you know, I often ask the musicians, what, what price did you pay? You know, what sacrifices did you make along the way? And there's a lot of big stars, you you know, better than anybody who, who sacrificed a lot to be worth standing where they For are sure. and it wasn't worth it. Yeah. Some, some of them I've asked, is it worth it? And, and a couple of people said, no, it wasn't worth it.
1: Yeah. And the sacrifices you make and the compromises that yeah. you make and, Yeah. It's uh, funny though. I mean, it's, and that's all part of it too. Like we said, you learn from it. And I mean, you know, I've learned so much even in the past 10, 12 years about this business and industry and me, um, you know, and and where I fit and, you know, and, and the right and the wrong things to do. And isn't it, it's, it's a shame you don't know that when you're younger, but when you figure Mm -hmm. it out, when you're older, it makes things a little bit easier to take.
0: Yeah. Was anything you would change if you could do it again?
1: Uh, I'd be a little bit smarter with my health probably, uh, in the, in the younger days, but I, and I, I I won't say uh, live with no regrets because people would say that are like, come on, you've got tons of regrets. (laughs) You're just not telling anybody. Um, I have a ton of regrets and would I like to make things right in a lot of ways? Absolutely. But I mean, whatever, can't do that. Um, I said I would have taken better care of myself. Mm. Um, I do now and I'm healthy and everything's great, but I, I would have, you know, had more energy and I would have been I would have liked to have worked on my patience game a little bit. TV is a patience game. Yeah. It's like hurry up and wait all the time. And I am not a patient person. And I think I was particularly hard on some people with my attitude sometimes. Yeah. Um but yeah, you know, I would have taken better care of myself and maybe just slowed down a little bit, but, yeah. um, but that's about it. I, yeah. I, I loved what
0: I did. Well, it's, and the thing is, is that when your job is to be intense, when that camera goes on, you, your intensity level has to be fairly high. So it's hard to switch back and forth, right? So be Mr. Cool as a for cucumber sure. between everything and then be Mr. Intense. Of course, <laughs> you know, it's like, of course.
1: And no. people come after talent all the time, yeah. right? They yeah. always give talent such a hard time, but it's sort of like, I'll switch positions with you. Yeah. Like, give this a shot for a yeah. second and you'll see it, it takes a lot out of you. And yeah, we're a pain in the ass. Absolutely. Yeah. But you know what? Who is it? Yeah.
0: So last question, what's, what's left to do? You said you're going to, you're going to ride out your time at Boom 97.3 and, and possibly retire from that or anything else you need to do?
1: I, I guess, I don't think so. You know, I mean, watching my guys uh, grow up now nice. and, um, you know, two are in university ones and just about going into grade 12 and Watching what they do, my eldest son uh, is into acting. Um, uh, my second eldest son, Leo, is uh, into commerce and into kind of a marketing sort of thing. Nice. So watching, watching them grow into that and yeah. grow into young men, um, is is awesome. So I I, I take great uh, satisfaction in that and just watching them grow. Uh, and I know that they look to me for uh, you know, advice. And I know they think it's kind of cool what I've done up to this yeah. point and to have your kids look at you that way and talk to you that way is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, and I got a, my youngest, as I said, going into grade 12 soon, he's got his semi-formal tonight and oh, nice. he said he wants to, he wants to be sure that I'm, uh, at the door to help tie his tie. And those are the <laughs> things that I just, the simple things that I just freaking live for. Absolutely. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess I see the retirement horse. I see it coming towards me. Um, I have the best job in the world, and I have had the best jobs in the world, and um, I'm fortunate enough to love them. I I would just say that getting up at three every day kind of takes its toll after a while, Mm. even though I'm taking care of myself. You're kind of like, I don't know how much longer (laughs) I can do that. Uh, And I've found that I've got a couple of hobbies that I never saw me doing in my life i'm rebuilding a 1974 honda cb 450 motorcycle oh, right now and i'm having the time of my life cool. it's all youtube and old manuals yeah. and i'm like i never knew i liked this like <laughs> this is really cool so cool. i've got that you know i've just got some stuff that yeah. you know to keep me interested on the daily but um you know i've been fortunate to be doing it this long i'm in my yeah. 40 fifth and 46th year yeah. now and I'm like
0: oh that's awesome well it sounds like you're a happy yeah. guy because sometimes oh you know.
1: I am Dan I am very happy yeah
0: many thanks to Stu Jeffries for being part of the Liner Notes podcast and sharing some insights from his life in the music biz and more information is available at boom97.3.com Stu Jeffries we hope you enjoyed the podcast and invite you to subscribe to it and share it on social media so others can enjoy it as well we also invite you to listen to Dusty Discs Radio Tuesdays and Thursdays to hear Canadian artists that you're hearing on this show So until next time, I'm Dan here.